So I got uh, a couple beers with Wayne and Duwan the other day, and a topic came up at the table, and I'd like to ask you guys your input on it. So we were talking about the amount of fellatio you would perform, uh, and like what the lowest number you'd accept for that act would be. See them tumbling down, <laughs> spread in their lips on the ground. Like Here I said, on your way, you belong. I said, I'd not be like, answering John's goddamn hypothetical. Like, I'd be on a sliding scale, probably like five to ten K. Yeah, yeah, you're on a sliding scale for any number of things, but we're not addressing <laughs> your fucking fecophiliac friends discussion at a dinner table. I, I did not say anything about poopoo. Uh, yeah, no, I know both of those boys well <laughs> enough to know <laughs> that there was, you know, that poo-poo. discussion went some other direction. Michael, how? What's what's the lowest you'd accept to 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 suck to suck? I suck. don't know. That's not something I think about. Ever. Think about it for a second. <laughs> so uh, you know, thinking about that popularity we're incapable of achieving, Heil non scum slingers, and by the eternal, well, behold, behold, it's the disinformed podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. <laughs> I'm Courtney. And the only oral I'm willing to offer is what you're getting right now. So congratulations. And we are he does all that for free. <laughs> we are all the luckier for it. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. This beard's not getting sullied by anything. I'm gonna guarantee that. I don't know. I just thought it was a, a nice lead up to get us back on topic. Just because we were talking about somebody who was uh, good at gratifying other individuals with their mouths doesn't mean that we have to do likewise. Dewan's argument to me, by the way, was that 5 to 10k was way too low and that's whack and that I, you shouldn't do it for money or like tangible things. You should do it for intangible things. Like, like his, love. His, oh, so like a <laughs> Diet no, Coke just for the taste of it. No, he was like, he's like, no, like the thing is like, you meet this dude, and he's like, you could tour with the Foo Fighters, you just need to give me Suck Suck. One Suck Suck to go on tour with the Foo Fighters for east to west coast, you're going to sell so much merch. The, then it's uh, back to money! As <laughs> <laughs> Well, every relationship is essentially just a going down payment. It's an exchange of goods and services for something, right? That's fair-ish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just love how precious cis men are about blowjobs. It's like some of us have to give those out for free. For the love of the game. I mean, where is that requirement written into law? Because I haven't seen anybody that said like blowjobs are a revolt. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not precious. I I mean, I'd prefer not to. (laughs) You know, like on that, the TikTok roll, get you a man who will do both. (laughs) (laughs) He's a 10, but he won't spontaneously suck a dick. (laughs) <laughs> pass Shulk pass what have I Roth uh, so speaking of damage that can be done mentally or physically or otherwise what we typically do on this show is delve into random esoteric nonsense in the course of explaining it to one another we lie a little bit but of course the co-hosts have to guess what it is we're fibbing about figuratively literally or otherwise and then, if they miss, or even if they do get it, we explain at the end of the episode what we were lying about. Unless it's our newfangled format, and you are showing up for part two Ooh. of Dorothea Puente, part or two. 
the last landlady on the left, as we have dubbed her. What was that? Indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've gotten as close to the format because, yeah, we're over here, Marcus Parks in it, going like, this is part two of our deep dive into the misadventures of, you know, an otherwise coercive sex worker. I'm in danger. So as we <laughs> discovered in episode one, of course, we had talked about Dorothea's troubled upbringing, her turbulent first marriage, which resulted in uh, a little bit of body shaming and, uh, of course, body <laughs> disposal, as it were. Desecration, maybe? I don't know. Don't forget and then, that she was there when the bombs fell. She was there She, when the she bombs was fell. indeed, yes. Mm -hmm. Much like Thursday. Um, but... Unfortunately, she managed to escape that unscathed, go through a few more weird relationships afterwards, and then become a semi-reputable businesswoman and uh, helper of uh, dissident wayward females and elderly folks in Sacramento, right up until they discovered she was forging checks and cashing out their bank balances for the sake of housing it's, them. It's closer to the plot of Ozarks than it is further from the plot of Ozarks, if you're wondering. In the same way that uh, Texas is close to Virginia? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In I Iran and, you know, Japan. And the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And hell. <laughs> same, same. I, I can see how you think you have a massive dick based on how you measure distance. <laughs> well, of course. Damn. Well, if you're asking, I go from ball to tip, so I always have a little extra. Huh, I haven't tipped anybody since 1972, so... Michael, have you never measured ball to tip? I'm just, like, I don't want to talk about I'd that. I'd have that's to measure from the floor <laughs> up if that's the case. That's terrible. Michael, are you even concerned about shrinking taints? That's a thing? <laughs> oh, I don't no. know anything about male reproductive health. I went to Arizona. Shrinking you taints? You went to Arizona? <laughs> Like I grew up here, we don't we don't learn fancy things like now. Weren't the shrinking taints on uh, on tour with the Aquabats recently? Did I see yeah. that on oh, a bill somewhere? So. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. that's what I knew them as. They used to open for gushing grannies, but not anymore. Speaking of gushing grannies, indeed. Ever since she's been in jail, it's just been different. Uh, well, I, I also meant the shrinkage finally caught up with them, but. Uh, <laughs> All right, so, as I mentioned previously, we had eight lies, and my uh, erstwhile friends here had gotten one of them. So, for those of you who are keeping track moving over into this next episode, we're going to catch all of you up later on. And you're going to know before I know whether or not you knew the lies after listening <laughs> to the last episode. Ooh, Michael's going to surprise travel. me on that one. So, doodly-doo, doodly-doo, after being on probation for five years and paying $4,000 in restitution for having cashing the 34 state and federal checks belonging to her tenants, we move forward to April of 1982, where, despite having lost her reputation as a caregiver, 53-year-old Ruth Monroe took up residence with Puente in her upstairs apartment, with Monroe dying soon afterwards from an overdose of codeine and acetaminophen. What does that do? Well, codeine is for cough medicine, and acetaminophen I... is... Uh... So it opens up everything about yeah. you, including your orifices and uh, your pocketbook. I like how you assumed I didn't know code, like that I the second one was fine, yeah. but coding is the one I he wouldn't know. He obviously knows drugs. Michael. I know what's in my scissor. Uh, um, I mean, it's one of my favorite Jason Isbell songs of all time. 
If you don't know Codeine, friend, you are not a true card carrying fan, and I'm upset at you. I think I just Oof. heard. I think Dewan's going to come kick my ass. Yep. <laughs> One of my friends. I, I can feel him. Me I in. felt that yell. That's why I got so silent and like timid first. I was just like, whoa. There was a disturbance Dang. in the force. Yeah. It was like a million uh, voices all cried out at once and then were silenced. <laughs> Sorry, See, Dad. I'm still making Star Wars quotes. <laughs> Sorry, Shane. Sorry, Dewan. I just can. I only can hope to be better from here. Indeed. So. And since we're on the subject of Jason Isbell right now, trigger warnings are plenty in this episode. And uh, so you might want to check the show notes, see what it is we're discussing because i certainly don't want anybody to leave this thing feeling uncomfortable unless you're a republican so <laughs> this ad brought to <laughs> or you a by new listener hi you're not Anywho. stuck in here with us <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by critical thinking I thought I'm you were going to say critical race theory I was like, <laughs> whoa let's just do all their checklist uh we're gonna have some aspects of that here i'm sure but oh, uh, no all right, so, when investigated, Puente told the police that the woman was very depressed because her husband was terminally ill. So, despite Dorothea's documented past activities, they fucking believed her and ruled Monroe's death a suicide. So, yeah, for anybody who has hung around for some of my prior documentations of uh, police's complete inability to do appropriate <laughs> investigations... <laughs> I have Sounds some C legit. also's. Yeah, uh, it's going to get worse from here before it gets one. better. Oh, no. So a few weeks later, however, the police did return after Malcolm McKenzie, a 74-year-old pensioner and one of four elderly individuals to level charges against Puente later, accused her of drugging him and consequently stealing from him. Then, on August 18th, 1982, Puente was convicted of three theft charges and sentenced to five, count them, five years in prison. She is... How, how many years, at this point, has she spent in jail? There is a cumulative of probably at least a decade just between being on probation and actually being incarcerated. She's had a, she's had a rough go. Stop breaking the law, asshole. Or it's at a least free vacation. It, or at least do it better. Goddamn Jeez. pen is blue. <laughs> Weight 182. Yeah, in your bra. <laughs> All right. Uh, man, I wonder if that holds up. I wonder if that still is fun to watch. Well, if it was good for you, uh, I've had better. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> As proof that you simply cannot keep a good girl down, Dorothea began a prison correspondence with one Everson Gilmouth. And yes, the names just keep getting more fire as we move along, friends. A can, you, can you repeat that? Everson Gilmouth. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which means he can survive underwater. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's a superpower. Oh, he's one of the mermen he can that swim. you read about. He can He can, swim. in fact, swim. <laughs> It's one of those mer people you read about, you know? Thank you for using gender neutral language. Yes. Well, I mean it's it's he's a merman. No, I'm not a mer person. Thank thank you. Okay. No, I'm not gonna no, he's a merman. He's a merman. <laughs> Got a name like Everson. He's absolutely going with that. Um in any event, he was a seventy seven year old retiree from Oregon. If you're from Oregon, uh... you know. Got that dysentery. 
Uh, <laughs> so a, a, they developed a pen pal friendship, as it were. And then when Puente was released in 1985, after serving three years of her five-year <laughs> sentence, apparently she can behave herself when incarcerated, uh, Gilmouth met her outside the prison in his sporty red 1984 pick-em-up. This yeah. will come into play later. Oh, of course. Naturally, their relationship developed rather quickly because she's got some living to get to, and the couple was soon making wedding plans. Subsequently, as per usual, in November of 1985, Puente hired a man named Ismael Flores to install some wood paneling in her apartment. And no, that's not a euphemism, Michael. Damn Don't get it. excited. I was like, yeah, she did. Lay that Michael wood. Clark. You want to come You were talking about <laughs> filleting people for money. Don't even come at me for making a joke about wood paneling. Oh, he'll come at you. <laughs> I was posing an artful, esoteric hypothetical. Oh, shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep at night, I guess. Now, knowing her, I'm sure she was very much asking if he'd care to come lay some wood in her apartment. I don't doubt that's how it was phrased. But uh, we'll decide. For his labor... I'm putting quotation marks around that one. Mm. And $800, Puente gave him a red Ford pickup as well, which I she you claimed. Were say something else. <laughs> yes, she gave him a red rocket. <laughs> a um, red Ford pickup. And you know a red I mean. Ford pickup up, which she stated belonged to her boyfriend in Los Angeles, who no oh, longer no. needed it. He's gone she, to a little farm, you know, where all the ex boyfriends go to. <laughs> I mean, where yeah. they sent Lassie. I knew Lassie. You know, from the movies. He's safe. From the movies. <laughs> it's still one of my favorite Courtney phrases of all time. That's why I keep going back to it. I'm one of those pores you read about. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, Dorothea's famous boyfriend who donated this red pick-em-up also apparently needed to have a six-by-three-by-two-foot box built to store books and other items. She charged his coffin? She then entreated Flores to transport this filled, sealed box to a storage <laughs> depot. <laughs> Wait, let me get a notebook. This lady's got great ideas. Dang. I yeah, I mean, write some you of this pair this, You pair this with your dog walking method, Courtney, and you are just aces. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if poop bags weren't convoluted enough, just wait. Uh, naturally, for $800 and a fresh Ford pick up Flores absolutely was game to take the box, and uh, Puente even offered her assistance to him to help get it to the depot. But then, in what amounted to a very dramatic right turn, Puente told Flores to stop while they were on the Garden Highway in Sutter County and just dump the box of junk on the riverbank... At an unofficial household junk dumping site. Have you ever been halfway to a destination and thought, fuck it, I hate all my belongings. Just pull on <laughs> over. I want to get rid of everything. Where I'm going, I don't need those No books. material possessions for me. <laughs> Takes like chapstick out of her pocket. She's like, I don't even need this. <laughs> Ishmael, I'm illegitimate. I don't know how to read. <laughs> I so come big from a boy, long, proud line. See, <laughs> help me come down here into the mush and find some critters. Uh, in any event, oh. 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. This apparently did not bother Floris at all. Completely took it in stride, oh, and he complied. Just dumped it on the side of the road over here in the junk box. So. <laughs> Is this whole story true? Yes. She convinced him it was she just a bunch of books. She absolutely convinced him to build a six foot by two foot by three foot box and said it just held books that they were going to surreptitiously dump by the side of the road. Ma'am, your your box is leaking. I thought you said it was books. Yeah. Th- well, there's... honey, I'm getting older and I've been a prostitute, so of course my <laughs> box is leaking. My God, <laughs> stop. Oh, no. Shade, that was so funny. Keep going. Oh. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's when it starts turning green in the fluid as opposed to white pussy kind of I stuff. Don't that like discharge you definitely need to get looked at. I do not like it here. Indeed. That no. took another that took another sharp turn. <laughs> you asked him for it. <laughs> there like, is give me more. John, there John is nothing. Tease. My <laughs> eyes were once thing. again bigger than my tum tum. So here's the thing. When you start having pussy pussy or a <laughs> you need to put some tea bags no. up in there to help, like you know, steal yeah. some of the acidity out I feel of there. Like there just needs to be a bleep over that entire thing. <laughs> I just put some Earl Grey up in my snatch and it's just wonderful to get me rightly seasoned. <laughs> I, I put my Earl Grey in my Earl Grey. <laughs> oh no, God. I mean her 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 original name was Grey, so I exactly. mean this is all yeah, Dorothy is getting Earl. That's, that's I'm about to hurl Grey right now if y'all don't knock it off it's a Uh, canonical to the story uh, t for two and you for me no (laughs) (laughs) all right so in january of 1986 a fisherman spotted this suspicious coffin looking like box near a riverbank and phoned the authorities like you do when you haven't been, you know, twitched by a huckster. And he looked at this thing that's clearly shaped as a coffin, and his first thought was, I hope some of the books survived. <laughs> it's like, ooh, it's, it's one of those little libraries that I hear about in the news. <laughs> Wonder what used books I might find in here. They are getting so oh, creative. No. Hmm, this smells like learning. Okay. <laughs> this smells different. The investigators, of course, pried the box open to find the badly decomposed and unidentifiable body of an elderly man inside. So, never one to let a good husband go to waste, Puente continued to collect Gilsmouth's pension, however, writing letters to his family explaining he hadn't contacted them because he was in ill health. Ah, checks out. Back in the day when we were all just penning letters to one another to apprise them of our health and upwell-welfare. Upwell, yes. Upwell. The new company started by Honeywell. Cousin to Updog. Indeed. What is Updog? (laughs) Who knows? In any event, uh, she also continued to maintain a boarding house, taking in 40, count them 40, new tenants. All while Gilsmouth's body remained unidentifiable and was not identified for three further years. Wow. Did she uh, start making her home into like a like replica of H.H. Holmes's joint? If only. She just had like several gas rooms, a place where you could just wheel the bodies and Sweeney Todd them. Uh, yeah, or like a, a chute, you know, like a, a, a yeah, trap. Yeah, you think, trap no, unfortunately. She was just pushing them down the stairs. Wow. Uh, 
<laughs> oh, it's so Saturday she didn't have again. A, She's taking out the trash. She didn't have a sense of theatrics. No. Yeah. Or I'm I'm thinking more of like Death Becomes Her. You know, you get her to the top of the stairs and just give a little nudge oh. in the chest. Okay, Ernest. so a little, a little bit of drama. A little bit of drama. You pushed me down the stairs. No, no one here has seen Death Becomes Her. I'm no. very upset. I am a disappointment. So Meryl Streep's, you know, greatest performance ever. Fight me. Uh, she gets to say with great equanimity to Bruce Willis, "I can see my ass." <laughs> Oscar, Sold. indeed. <laughs> well, I, you know, just shocked. Anyway, uh, naturally. She continued to accept elderly boarders and was very popular with the local social workers because she would accept referrals even of the tough cases, including drug addicts and abusive tenants. She caringly collected tenants' monthly mail before they saw it uh, and then (laughs) paid them stipends. Oh, man. Pocketing the rest of their money for expenses. Like you do. What a goofball. You know, what's funny is that this is common behavior from all other elder care facilities, and no one's pressing charges against these motherfuckers. So, unfortunately. There we go. But during this period, parole agents began to visit Puente after... No, they visited her at least 15 times over the course of this time frame. And though she had been specifically ordered to keep away from the elderly and refrain from handling government checks, considering that was what she was incarcerated for previously, no violations were ever noted while she was doing these things. Is that true? True. She went back on the escalator again. And never even got a strong word pointed at her, unfortunately. Hey, you can't get on the escalator. Fuck you, I do what I want. Okay, ma'am, have a good day. (laughs) All right, I'm convinced. (laughs) So, suspicion was finally fucking aroused when neighbors noticed the odd activities of a homeless alcoholic known only, and this is not my name, I did not come up with any of this, so don't at me, known by the name of Chief, whom Puente said she had adopted as her hired handyman. (sighs) Now, Why use that word? I, it's Why? Yeah, Why I, do I don't... Well, I mean, we're or in the least, 80s here, friend. Uh, like, we weren't exactly a kind and loving society here at the time. Uh, Puente had Chief dig in the basement, carting soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. At the time, the basement floor was then covered with a concrete slab. Chief later went on to dismantle the garage in the backyard, installing a fresh concrete slab there as well. (laughs) She paved paradise and put up a parking lot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Soon after this, Chief disappeared. No! I mean, we saw that he coming, actually, but still, it's like no! a volunteer. It's like I need to make sure that it can actually hold a body. So Indeed. I just want to make sure I'm just doing a good out. job. Yeah. Just. Important thing to note, though, for John specifically, Chief was also famed for claiming that he could read animal tracks on asphalt and saying he was an expert at destroying human souls through black magic. But what an asshole. I digress. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Always walked around in an exceedingly ornate Indian headdress, and I don't know why. <laughs> For those that are not yeah, Night Vale fans, don't scream at us. Go listen to some episodes. <laughs> Literally, yeah, I think one. you've used that reference before. Cause I have. Sound- okay. It's a lot right. of fun. So, finally... Finally, suspicions were confirmed in 1988 after Judy, Judy, an outreach counselor with Volunteers of America, noticed 52-year-old Alvaro Bert Montoya, a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia. Apparently a lifetime winner of the genetic lottery as well. Damn. Oh, for sure. She'd placed at Puente's home had vanished. Now, Alvaro had uh, struggled with his mental health and been homeless for years, and Judy, Judy, didn't buy Puente's explanation that he'd simply left for a holiday in Mexico with his brother. What? (laughs) Particularly because Judy, who will remind everyone, was uh, his fucking outreach counselor, (laughs) knew he didn't speak to his family. Oof. And then Judy subsequently began to question another of Puente's tenants, John Sharp. Again, these names, they just delight me to no end. Who then told her, something is wrong. She's been digging a lot of holes. She's planting a garden in her basement. I'm tired of this, Grandpa. It's too damn bad. Shia LaBeouf in a starring role. Miss Puente's backyard. Uh, <laughs> Judy then alerted police. Fuck me, I'd watch it. <laughs> Sorry, I just fucking got the reference. And I, was, I started singing the theme song in my head. The dig it up, oh, oh, or whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> was what was so, that again? It, I don't know. Shia LaBeouf starred in Holes. If yes. those weren't paying attention. Th- yeah. <laughs> All right. Is that a, that's a, that's a Disney movie. Yen, yes, Yen and the theme states. song Michael's looking for is "Put the bodies in the holes." Put the bodies in the holes. <laughs> oh, that was the after Disney version. That was actually uh, her th- her song as well. Yeah. Indeed, it was Disney After Death. So, it's a great band name. As I said, Judy alerted police, who then went to the home where they met with the same answer that Alvaro was simply on holiday. As they were leaving, however, Mr. John Sharp managed to slip them a message in note form that says, She's making me lie for her. Help. Is that true? Sure is. M-O-O-N, that spells extortion. So, after noticing there was a significant quantity of disturbed soil on the property, and yes, disturbed soil also lets the bodies hit the floor. That was a crazy tour. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, The police returned and searched the house, initially finding nothing. They decided to ask, (laughs) in their infinite wisdom, whether they could dig in the garden. So that they could tell the social worker that they had been thorough in their duties and responsibilities. <laughs> Naturally, Puente, not one to raise a fuss, absolutely agreed, even providing them with an extra shovel to help, you know, move things along. Now, here's what we find as listed in the Netflix docuseries Worst Roommate Ever. One of the policemen who worked on the case recalls digging up the garden and finding, quote-unquote, pieces of cloth 
eggshells and leather pieces that looked like beef jerky. Is the leather pieces true? Sure is. Wow. The eggs? We're just digging and digging, he says. And I could see Dorothea staring out the window at us above. All those things are true. No lies there. Wow. Finally, they found the body of 78-year-old Leona Carpenter, and the police realized what they thought was beef jerky was actually desiccated human flesh. Several additional bodies were subsequently found buried on the property. Now, it's important to note here, during the initial investigation, she wasn't immediately a suspect. What? They actually allowed her, while they were digging the property up, to leave and go away. She said she was going to go buy a cup of coffee at a nearby hotel. What the fuck? Instead, after uh, buying said coffee, she fled immediately to Los Angeles, bye. where she befriended an elderly male pensioner whom she'd met in a bar. Unbeknownst to Puente, however, the, the pensioner recognized her as the woman he saw on the television news reports. <laughs> <laughs> he then contacted local law enforcement, who quickly arrested her in L.A. So, Puente was then charged with a total of nine murderers. Murderers. Nine murders. Murderers. Murder. Her boyfriend... Everson Gill's mouth, of course, was going to be charted there, as well as eight tenants who lived in the boarding house. Ruth Monroe, Leona Carpenter, Alvaro Bert Gonzalez, uh, Dorothy Miller, Benjamin Fink, James Gallup, Vera Faye Martin, and Betty Palmer. According to the investigators, most of her victims had been drugged until they overdosed. Puente then wrapped them in bed sheets and plastic lining before dragging them to open pits in the backyard for burial. Police were only able to link Everson to Dorothea due to the similarities between the method of disposal between his and the bodies that were exhumed in the backyard. It's worth noting she never actually confessed to any of these things, and uh, she was never charged for the murder of her first husband, as I alluded to in the previous episode, as she confessed to that crime following her conviction for these other killings in an attempt to reduce her sentence by assisting in a police investigation. You know, she oh always is very good Cheeky. at these calculated moves. You know, she's Damn. very, she's, she's so good at this. Exactly. Well, she kind of has to, because as soon as, like, she gets found out, she's screwed, because she can't, like, uh -huh. she can't lie her way out of stuff, apparently. And as Michael had mentioned previously, the crime fell outside the statute of limitations for murder in the state of California, which is 40 years, so she was never actually prosecuted for that killing. So... During the initial investigation, as I said, they just let her run away. But once they finally got her apprehended and uh, incarcerated her, they granted a change of venue motion filed by Puente's lawyers, Kevin Climo and Peter Valutin III. Oh. And so a judge transferred the trial to Monterey County. The proceedings began in October of 92, ending a year later. The prosecutor, John O'Mara, was the homicide supervisor in the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office. Here's a number for you. O'Mara called over 130 witnesses during the course of the trial. Whoa. Oh, my God. 
So if you don't have easy character assassination, I'd say 130 people might sway a jury. Maybe. Just sneaking suspicion. Yeah. He argued to the jury that Puente had used sleeping pills to put her tenants to sleep and then suffocated them, then hired convicts to dig holes in the yard. Uh, we're not talking about Chief here either. Uh, Climo yeah, I was then... going to say, did they ever find him? Uh, strangely enough, no. Uh, I didn't even think about that as I was running through this. They they never indicated what the fate of Dear Chief Aww. was. <laughs> so is that was Sad. Chief a lie? No, Chief was not a lie. Uh, I really just didn't see anything beyond that other than he was one of the individuals that was supposedly the hired help that facilitated mm. this. Mm. Poor uh, Chief. There's a lot. I, I I had to run through probably seven to eight different listings. I actually read a full section of a book to get a good portion of this. So there was a significant amount of research thrown together for this, which is why it feels weirdly cobbled together because there's a bunch of conflicting accounts so far. And funnily enough, I mention it here when I started coming up with lies initially, when I started reading into the further research, my lies actually paled in comparison to what she was actually doing. Oh wow. no. So That's I the had worse. Yeah. I had to slightly reconfigure because initially I had assumed things were a little more tame on the murder front. And it was not. So, in any event, Climo, uh, who was defending Puente, concluded that his closing arguments by showing a picture commonly used in psychology that can be viewed in different ways and saying, keep in mind, things are not always as they seem. (laughs) That was his defense? Now, I know they found multiple (laughs) dead bodies in her backyard, but hey, it could have been an ancient burial ground. Prove so me wrong. To have. Yeah. Or it could have been the neighbors. What it, better way it's to get the 80s. off your back? Yeah. The Amityville horror had come out at this point. Like, I'm sure they could have gotten somebody to corroborate. Mm-hmm. We're, we're still right on the, you know, we followed Poltergeist as well. Like, yeah, you could have gotten away with burial ground. Yeah. I've seen Stranger Things happen. I watched the Johnny Depp Andrew Heard trial. Uh, <laughs> I'm all right. The jury deliberated for over a month, eventually finding no. yes, eventually finding Puente guilty of I shit you not three murders. The jury was apparently deadlocked, eleven to one for conviction on all counts, and the lone holdout finally agreed to conviction of two first degree murder counts, including special circumstances, and one second degree murder count. So everybody else is completely convinced, and this one blowhard's just like, nope, I don't <laughs> think she did it. Can't prove it. Like, this is the unfortunate aspect, though, is that in spite of all of the circumstantial evidence that you have here and things that would go to character, they didn't specifically have people seeing her killing people and disposing of the bodies. So it's, you know, you can inject reasonable doubt, I'm sure, but still. 130 Yeah, the volume of evidence to the contrary seems to imply she's... Priors of stealing stuff. Uh huh. And also having, you know, pilfered material from people in multiple instances of the exact same scenario she's being accused of. It's also really pretty well extrapolated. It's going to hurt her on the leaderboards too because they really fucked her KD ratio. Indeed. Yeah, that's true. Bad percentages. Three 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 to one thirty or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Christ. No, thank you. Yep. She's not getting more families. Jeez. Yeah. 
So, thanks for injecting a little gravity there. It's appreciated. <laughs> We're like, oh, back kill down. death ratio is bad. And you're like, oh, I feel bad about those families. She's got really bad batting average, is what I'm saying. Those poor people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. So, for Barstool Sports this evening, I'm yeah. Shane. Thank you for being here. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so... The penalty phase of the prosecution was highlighted by the literal wave of Dorothea's prior convictions, which were introduced (laughs) by Omara. So the defense, of course, called several witnesses attempting to illustrate her generous and caring nature. Uh, These witnesses, including her long-lost daughter that I alluded to, one of the ones that she gave up (laughs) in 1946, because, yeah, that's someone to testify to your good character. Oh, right. She actually... Yeah, no, actually, yes, because she could have been living with her mom instead. So Uh, I would say it was a blessing. Oh, even better. So her (laughs) long-lost daughter testified to how she had helped them in their youth and guided them to successful careers. (laughs) By giving them up. Apparently. (laughs) Some mental health experts then testified to Puente's abusive upbringing and how it motivated her to help the less fortunate. Right. At the same time, they then agreed that she had an underhanded side brought on by the stress of caring for so many down-and-out tenants. (laughs) You see, she was just burnt out caring for all these, so she had to let off a bit of steam. Like a bit of steam. uh You know, pilots do it sometimes. Why can't she? Yeah. Uh, this is a Stephen King quote, and Michael, this is probably not a good clip, because I'm going to get yelled at, but uh, for those who are fans of The Shining, white man's burden, Lloyd, am I right? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put up with all these down and out people, and that's what led me to murder. Oh, jeez. Now get over here and take <laughs> also, your medicine. rip the guy who actually uh, played him in the movie, in The Shining, He's he's gone now. Yeah, Lloyd, yep. Yeah, poor, poor bastard. Best Amber uh-huh. Commander. Portland, Indeed. Maine. Portland, Maine. I made... I'll, I'll probably cut this part, but in memoriam, <laughs> when I learned that he died, I actually took the clip of you talking about getting a blowjob with Lloyd, and that was <laughs> the short that posted on YouTube. <laughs> Your timing is impeccable, and uh, also in memoriam. <laughs> in memoriam, immemorable. In memorandum, all over again. Amen. Indeed. Yes. All right. So... Omar's closing argument focused on Puente's simple acts of murder. Does anyone become responsible for their conduct in this world? These people were human beings. They had a right to live. They didn't have a lot of possessions, no houses, no cars, only their social security checks and their lives. She took it all. Death is the only appropriate penalty. So... Channeling a bit of what Courtney was alluding to previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Climo then elected to respond by evoking Dorothea the child and caregiver. Peter Vallotton addressed the jurors in confidential tones, contrasting with Omara's shouting. Oh, apparently I needed to be screaming that section. I said... (laughs) Now, uh, allow me to put on the affectation that I know John delights in. We are here today to determine but one thing. What is the value of Dorothea Puente's life? That is the question. Does she have to be killed? (laughs) Vallotton spoke gently about Puente's childhood, 
touching on traumatic aspects that shaped her life and urged the jurors to see the world through her eyes. You have heard of the despair which was the foundation of her life, the anger and resentment. And if anyone in the jury room tells you it was not that bad, ask them, would you want that to happen to yourself? Would you want that to happen to your children? I am led to believe if there's any reason for us to be living here on this earth, it is to somehow enhance one another's humanity, to love, to touch each other with kindness, to know that you have made just one person breathe easier because you have lived. So I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, this is why these people came to testify for Dorothea Puente. I think you can only truly understand why so many people testified and asked you to spare Dorothea's life, only if you have ever fallen down and stumbled on the road of life and had someone else pick you up, give you comfort, give you love, and show you the way, to give you a $7.50 blowjob. Wait, I'm sorry, I misquoted. Inflation. Uh, (laughs) Oh, it's inflation. inflation. $30 Um, So how how much of that speech is just in... Entirely bullshit. Uh, No, this is all true. Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. And then you will understand why these people believe Dorothea's life is worth saving. That is mitigating. That is a human quality that deserves to be preserved. It's a flame of humanity that has burned inside Dorothea since she was young. And that's not just the chlamydia. (laughs) That is the reason to give Dorothea Puente life. Without the possibility of parole. Puente was, of course, as I alluded to earlier, convicted of three of the murders, although the jury couldn't agree on the other six. After several days of deliberations, the juror was deadlocked seven to five. And Judge Michael J. Verga declared a mistrial when the jury said further deliberations would not change their minds. So under the law, Puente received life without the possibility of parole. She was then incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. And what a wonderful place to live that must be. Oh, yeah. Chowchilla. Mm-hmm. Makes a marvelous coat. Uh, and then for the rest of her life, she maintained her innocence, insisting that all of her boarders had died of natural causes. Now, it's just a matter of the unfortunate need to, you know, dispose of them in the backyard. That's her only crime. That and, of course, killing her first husband, but we're not going to address that. But she did admit to that crime, but again, as a matter of self-defense, and only when she was already convicted of the other crimes and incarcerated in the hopes of receiving a reduced sentence, and then they told her it was without the possibility of parole. So, kind of a catch-22 there. Wow. Needless to say, kind of a turbulent life. And she got to die of natural causes? She sure did. She died in prison at Chochilla on March 27th, 2011, from exactly as you said, natural causes. She was 82 years old at the time. Well, rotten hell, you tip-to-tail piece of shit. (sighs) It's Uh, a delightful thing, isn't it? So... uh, An interesting. I'm going to start over with a new set of lips. An interesting topic to spread over a couple of episodes, and thank you all for bearing with me because I know that was a lot to discuss. It was good, though. It was good. Would it make you 
Indeed. Would it make you feel better to know that six of the lies were contained within the first part of the episode? See, I knew that if I knew you wouldn't say it if if we asked. Uh huh. Kind of already hinted at that, but I knew something like that was going to go down. Yes. Oh, I just knew you'd pull some horse. Oh, piss I like knew this. it. Well, <laughs> I seen it. Speaking of going down, do we have any additional stabs around the one that Courtney was able to sniff out? Nah. Did he really have that accent? <laughs> yeah, he talked like fucking Fogger. No, I, I don't have yeah. anything. By, by me, by he, you mean who? I think it's just the lawyer. Shane is hoomsed. Please. Who's hooms hoomsted? Hoomsted. Hooms hoomsted. Yeah. Yes. No, I actually have no I, I didn't figure. Courtney looked like she's cogitating. I'm just annoyed that I got one and there was more all around to be found. <sighs> Well, That's why I never play Minefield. That's a very fine point. <laughs> very anxiety-written. All I, right. I, I can't handle it. Well, we're going to start uh, unraveling this then. So, uh, as I said, eight lies in total. Some of this is a little stacked. Now, as I admitted earlier, when I started coming up with crimes, I initially thought that she was just taking advantage of folks when I started coming up with this. So, I had created a lie that was actually... You know, it reasonably in keeping with her conduct, unfortunately. But she did not kill her ex-husband. Oh. Uh, at all. They parted. They parted amicably, in fact. He just got sick of her, you know, harumphing around and, uh, and went on about his life. And so, uh, that's technically lie number one is saying that, uh, they fe- found his body discarded in an Atascadero junkyard. So that was the first lie, but it all kind of hinges. So, uh-huh. um, she did, I, I was making up. So Courtney, you were right on. I stole Eileen Warnos's story and co-opted it and flew it over here. But as I was writing that lie out, I discovered she actually did work in a cat house as a teenager and had essentially been functioning as a sex oh, worker no. for the bulk of her life. So I was like, I can't even make this stuff up. So I was like, all right, let's just dive in on it. So then um number two indicates that her first husband was her first murder victim. That is not true. So, uh, Line number three was the entire story of him locking up his uh, shop, going and finding her on the roadway. That is literally Eileen Warnos's first murder. So that entire set of circumstances literally details everything. So I gave you half credit because, I mean, technically, yes, Eileen Warnos was robbing people under the aspect that she was trying to seduce them and claim she was going to gratify them. And then she would just rob them when she got in the car. Um, so, but contrary to this, uh, our particular villain in company here was just happily gratifying people and sometimes n- not for money, just wait until hubby went to work and doing it right in the house. Yeah. So there's also some thoughts as to whether or not those two children that were sired were actually her husband's and that's whole set of circumstances. So lie number three is essentially the first part of the story. Lie number four is the fact that she confessed to his murder later. She never confessed to a crime. And the entirety wow. of her life, even up till she went into prison, she never took credit for anything. She said she never committed a murder. She never killed anybody. She was completely innocent. Nothing stuck to her. Which is even more disgusting and repellent yeah. when you get to the end of this. Uh, so it's not even that she would just sneak to, to save herself some sorrow. 
I feel like that checks out, though, based on the way she built her life around this facade of being good to the community. Mm-hmm. That giving that up really discredits all the work that she did do. Absolutely. So uh, then subsequently, lie number five is that she would claim that this was a self-defense murder that she'd had later on. So a lot of these are kind of stacked together in making that story make sense. Uh, because once I had created that, I was like, well, she was just an old lodger woman who was just dispatching people. And then we get to, she had a guy literally build a coffin to get rid of her correspondence boyfriend and throw the body away later. I was like, I thought she was better than she was, but she's not. This is just similar. So then it made the first story sound reasonable by the nature of she did it again later. Mm-hmm. So in any event, um, uh, McFowl actually just left Gray in late 48 after she had suffered a miscarriage and was put on probation for having forged checks. He's like, you know, this is enough of this shit. This I'm just going to leave. But so, she yeah, did. So the miscarriage actually factored into his divorce proceedings? Because they'd given up the two other children already because she was not ready to settle down and be a mother. So he just got sick of trying to deal with her not wanting to be a wife. And again, she was in her teens when they got married, so it's not totally yeah. outlandish. It's just a weird, you know, confluence yeah. of events. And she already had a really horrible upbringing to that point. So in any event, um, her never being linked to the crime, of course, was also another lie. So that is what took us through the first six was that Damn, whole Daddy. situation surrounding <laughs> that. Um, so all the area of California that I outlined, where she dumped the bodies, all that other stuff, all of that's contrived, but it's all kind of stacked together. So that gets us through the first six. But all the other stuff she did from that point forward, from once she started getting caught fabricating checks and taking people in, duping them and taking their money, all that's true. Uh, gets even worse. So as we proceed, takes me a while. I did highlight my Night Vale thing as being a lie for the sake of uh, that's not technically counting in the number of us. Like, if anybody takes that seriously. So I wanted to make John laugh for two seconds. All right. So line number seven, of course, was continuing from the prior assertion that she um, was never charged for the murder of her first husband and that she had confessed it essentially under duress, knowing she was going to be incarcerated. And then... Michael's going to get really upset at this one. Line number eight is that the crime fell outside the statute of limitations for California for murder. There is technically no statute of limitations for murder in California. If you committed a murder, you can be brought to trial for it any old time. Yes, no statute of limitations at all. I was getting a little wary on that. I almost asked about that and was like, "Ah." Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you commit murder, they will they will bring charges, regardless of if it was, you know, 10 years ago, 20, 100. They will make sure that you're tried for it. I thought this was America. It is indeed. And that, friends and neighbors, uh, gets us through. And lie number seven is continued on in the outro of essentially saying that she only ever confessed to killing her first husband. She didn't even confess that either. So uh, those, friends, were the eight lies contained in the course of the episode. But as I said, I tried to make her a lot more insidious and disgusting than she was. And she wound up proving me right. So (laughs) she just was like, bet, let's do it. Because if you read, like, the Wikipedia entry, it's mostly, oh, she was a lodger killer, and she just killed the old and the infirm. They didn't throw out. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, she also, you know, like, grifted people from the moment she was born, constantly manipulated folks, used her body as a weapon, was married more times than Donald Trump. Like, just 
you know, a constant string of random nonsense. Yeah, a real character. Indeed. Yeah. Real nothing. And of course, according to John, a real looker. <laughs> I, I mean, you look at that mugshot and you try and tell me she don't fuck. Uh, she looks like a purse that got left in a standing puddle of water for about two months and then thrown back into a sewage system. Love I mean, you. <laughs> we weren't talking about whether or not she fucks. We were talking about whether or not you'd fuck her. Jesus, Michael Clark. <laughs> So what we're saying Did is I that I go too far. That uh, she's the little troll that's found in the series of tunnels that Michael had alluded to in his D and D episode. <laughs> oh. She's who brought the dildo to the party. Uh, but between us, girls, nah, I wouldn't smash. I'd pass for sure on that one. Oh, okay. Well, thank God you have scruples. <laughs> Something that seemed to defy and evade her at all times. So, all right. Well, thank you for letting me marble mouth my way through that. I have really been on the struggle bus this evening. For some reason, my lips and my gums are not co cooperating with uh, the rest of my Worcestershire sister sauce, and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to make it out alive. Well, we're all on our way out. Indeed. Yeah. Very true. But uh, that is our, our first new concept uh, double episode. So it's a fun part one, part two. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And back in more of my character assassination days, it's no Colonel Sanders, I'll say that. Well, <laughs> I mean, nothing can top him. How do you approach the sunrise? Indeed. Exactly. How do you bread a chicken? Or breed Very a chicken? Carefully. <laughs> Very carefully. Let me ask, how do you bread a chicken? How do you bread a chicken? With 11 herbs and spices and your dick. <laughs> Courtney, was it you that sent me the TikTok of the prank that they pulled on a, on KFC employees? Yes. Do you want to do you want to recount it a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like some there, shit that Jonah would do. There was, uh, I think it was two guys that they created a fake coupon for KFC that said if you bring in a live chicken, they'll give you like a bucket of chicken for free. Like you bring and, you bring your own chicken to the restaurant, yeah. you get a discount. <laughs> So and it's a barter system. I will send it to you guys in the group chat because the reaction from the first employee that he talks to is just the funniest shit in the world. Guy's like, no, no, this, no. And well, then the he gives guy, them the bucket of chicken. First guy, they had him, though. They had the first well, guy for sure. Uh -huh. I mean, if you put in that much effort, I probably would have given them a bucket of chicken. They're like, you know that's what? A, right? I appreciate this effort. Even without TikTok, like that's a story they're probably going to tell for the rest of their lives. Oh, absolutely. You know? Well, and also strangely evocative of the colonel's actual conduct himself, because he did cruise around with live chickens in the car, just amble into another restaurant like, I'm going to kill this thing for you and make you love it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <sighs> Indeed. Well, uh, well speaking of you. herbs, spices, and things that you don't want in your mouth, uh, we appreciate you being here as always. If you appreciate it, please rate and review. We would love to hear from you, and be sure that you are subscribed, because we've got new episodes winging your way every lovely Monday morning on your preferred podcast provider app. We have also got a link in the show notes below that will take you to all of our relevant socials, so you can go stalk us there in whatever form or fashion you prefer. We have also got Michael's Shorts just being opened constantly over we on the tubes view. Be contained. Ready to dive in. 
I thought you were just going to say, I'm ready to die. <laughs> True. Well, I mean, that's obvious, but you should also be ready to die. You should You should watch my YouTube shorts. I'm ready to die. <laughs> well, if you do watch them, you'll know that that is true. If you keep wiggling your shoulders like that, you might just separate your head from the rest of your body. So, yeah, it's possible. This is what happens when he takes a little Eddie. Look at this. Look at this little goofball. No, this here. is this is this is me having a brain meltdown, spending six hundred dollars on. Let's let's not share that with the general public, friend. We don't need to start confirming our stupidity. Yeah, that's true. I'll just censor that. As the uh, people what is, won't know what I did. Was yeah, that just say spending six hundred dollars? Release on the people. Michael cut. No. Oh, he spent six hundred dollars on Dorothea Puente. Or was that Didn't Chuck get my Testa? money back. Worse? Oh, I would have spent $600 on Chuck Testa merchandise. Not pets, though. No, no, no pets. He doesn't do those. Nope. Uh, well, to quote one of my favorite faux Confucian phrases, it is better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah, I take that as a challenge. I can tell. I'm, we know. We've, we're, we've been friends for a little bit. That's- that's my mantra. I wake up and repeat that to myself every morning. I thought you would be an I, idiot today. I thought your <laughs> mantra in the morning was looking in the mirror going, you're going to fuck the English language so hard today. Oh, give yourself a little Who's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Who's a little... Subsequently. <laughs> I thought... <laughs> well, you said it appropriately there. I know, so unfortunately, I know. we missed the mark. Subsequently. <laughs> I just thought you woke up every morning, looked at yourself in the mirror, and like, another day in decline. <laughs> <laughs> That's more accurate, I guess. Like, oh, I'm awake now. He has a he has a like a uh, white or dry erase marker. Just tally marks it on the mirror. <laughs> the authorities have locked me outside of the bedroom. Surely they want me to starve. <laughs> I will paw lovingly at the door and sing the song of my people. It's just a bunch of hey! noises. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! I got six hundred dollars! <laughs> Alright, well, uh, ladies, germaphobes, boils and ghouls, thank you for being here as always. We sincerely appreciate it. And hey, I hope something great happens to you today. So for those crazy kooks here at the disinformed <laughs> podcast <laughs> i'm shane i'm john i'm michael i'm courtney and zippity zoop we're out of here i said kooks i was gonna say how'd you make that sound like a slur <laughs> <laughs>